0: Welcome to this podcast from the International Monetary Fund, I'm Jocelyn Frank.
1: We don't really want to abolish the possibility of there being non-bank credit intermediation. That is, indeed, some people say that the eurozone in particular needs more non-bank credit intermediation because it's too dependent on the health of its banks.
0: Banks exist to loan people money. And to be sure that these loans are executed fairly, regulations on the bank's transactions have evolved over time. But one thing that has not evolved in the same way are regulations for non-bank lending or shadow banks on the fringes, unofficial. Sometimes this non-bank lending can be an arrangement as simple as one friend or neighbor lending to another. Sometimes it's made up of a complicated chain of leveraged agreements that offer large groups of people high rates of return, but at a higher risk. The potential for loss can be enormous and have resulted in bankrupt towns and cities across different parts of the world. Lord Adair Turner is a senior fellow at the Institute for New Economic Thinking. He believes that non-bank credit will always exist. So rather than try and fold it under the umbrella of official banking, economists and government leaders need to establish a system of accountability that protects the people without stifling the creative lending systems. I began by asking Lord Turner why he believes that regulation is the best way forward. If non-banks are so risky, why not outlaw them altogether?
1: You know, credit is not something that we can definitively control. It is naturally created wherever there is trust. I mean, the name comes from credere, which means to believe or, or to trust. Wherever there is trust, there will be credit. As the normal course of doing business, I might sell something to you. If I trusted you, I might sell it to you and say you pay me back in three months' time. But I might want a piece of paper back from you, a bill which says I'm going to, you're gonna pay me in three months' time. If you're a trusted person in the market, I could take that bill and give it to somebody else and say, well, she'll pay you back in three months' time. So it becomes a form of credit. It becomes a form of security. But the moment we've got that, we've got something which can go to excess. We don't want to just put a stop to the whole of non-bank credit. If we hadn't been able to create credit, we'd have probably spent a lot longer getting the Industrial Revolution and getting the formation of companies that had occurred. But we need to realise that once we've allowed there to be non-bank credit, it will find ways of recreating the same risks that we have in banks. So this, the process of making sure that the system is risk-controlled is going to be a a never-ending regulatory activity.
0: What could those regulations look like?
1: When you have a mutual fund, like a money market mutual fund, if it essentially says to somebody, you've got $20,000 in your account here, and you can have it back tomorrow. And you can definitely have $20,000. It won't vary up and down uh, with the market in the same way that an, an equity fund would vary up and down the market. If that's what a mutual fund says, then to be blunt, that sounds like a bank deposit account. It as it were, you know, it looks like a bank, it quacks like a bank. So let's assume it is a bank. So one of the principles that we set out is where that is the case, then countries have got to apply some sort of uh, capital requirement or liquidity requirement on the Money Market Mutual Fund. Now, how does that then get implemented actually varies by the different countries. Some countries have all these types of regulation in one place, and often that place is co-located with the central bank. And some of them, in particular the US, it would depend upon uh, the particular nature of the regulation, whether it was the SEC or the CFTC or the Fed or the OCC which was the relevant authority so it does vary significantly around the world
0: so if they're handled by bank regulators and they look like banks and they sound like banks quack like banks as you said why not just dissolve them all together i mean in the case of mortgage backed securities some have argued that the regulations are so great that and mixed with the bad reputation of these securities, that really the desire for people to invest with these kinds of securities is pretty much zero. So why not just absorb it? Why not just dissolve it?
1: If we had an environment where, for instance, there were loan funds to small and medium enterprises, which were funded by investors who were willing to commit their money for a period of time and only got their money back when uh, the small and medium enterprises paid, that would be a positive within uh, the financial system. So, we don't really want to abolish the possibility of there being non bank credit intermediation. That is, indeed, some people say that the Eurozone in particular needs more non bank uh, credit intermediation because it's too dependent on the health of its banks. What we need to try and work out where we're clever enough is to get good, stable, unrisky non-bank credit intermediation, rather than the extremely risky forms of non-bank credit, which proliferated in the period before the crisis.
0: What about leverage? Is there Some at the IMF have argued that the interconnectedness, um, these chains, aren't inherently dangerous if there's transparency. What do you think? Do, do you think there's a case to be made for limiting leverage, or is it, is it inherently a risk? Uh,
1: when you have a bank loan, and bank deposits. There's really two steps in total in the chain. There's a, there's a borrower who borrows money from a bank, which gets money in deposits from a saver. In our shadow banking system, we can create multiple steps in the chain. And these two steps can be very, very complicated. And the same security can go backwards and forwards between different steps in the chain several times. And what we realized in 2007 and 2008 is that complicated, multi-step chains connected by collateral and margin calls can be quite as unstable as maturity-transforming banks. Indeed, they can be more unstable and they can be what we call reflexive, i.e., as one person acts, another person acts in response to them. There's a wonderful analogy sometimes used to do with the Millennium Bridge in in London. We had this new bridge at the time of the Millennium put across the Thames. And when it opened and people walked across it, it developed a really very worrying wobble. And the wobble was produced by a set of self-reinforcing actions. On a random basis, it would begin to move a bit. And then each individual person would try and offset that by maybe moving their weight to the right or move it to the left. And if nobody else moved but you moved, moving your foot to the right would stabilize you personally. But if everybody else tried to do the simultaneous thing at the same time, it made the whole system worse. And we have increasingly understood that uh, complex financial systems are, are are like that. There can be very strong processes by what where what is rational for the individual to do makes the total system more risky. And that's a very complicated issue that we really have to engage with uh, within the, uh, the regulation uh, of the shadow banking system. So the process of making sure that the system is risk controlled uh, is going to be a never-ending uh, regulatory activity.
0: Lord Adair Turner, a senior fellow at the Institute for New Economic Thinking. If you'd like to hear additional podcasts like this one, please visit www.soundcloud.com forward slash IMF podcasts.